What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the BTR Podcast. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, so let me introduce him. He's an MMA and boxing editor for The Score. We're a fellow Canadian. We're joined by Nick Baldwin today. Hey, Nick, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks, guys, for having me on. It's it's great to be here. Uh, appreciate that. Um, let's just get right into it. UFC 297, the one in Toronto, just concluded. We obviously didn't have the chance to watch it because we were busy doing other things, but we've heard a lot of controversy with the ending of that fight strickland versus uh, uh duplessis in your opinion who ended up winning that fight i had Drakus duplessis winning the fight and the middleweight title i think it could have gone either way um i think uh you know the middle round two three and four were pretty close um the the first one probably went strickland's way um the last one i think strickland turned it up late as well but then DDP, I had him winning rounds two, three, and four. But if you want to make the case for Strickland winning, as UFC CEO Dana White did and, and some others did after the fight, that's not really an issue. Um, again, this is just one of those fights where in MMA, sometimes it's basically a 50-50 fight. And, and this is a great example of that. Um, but I think Drake is Duplessis, I think the power that he had and, and the power punches he hit Strickland with throughout some of those middle rounds is, is the difference maker here is uh, what gave him the title. Um, I gave DDP the fight, but hey, if you want to go Strickland, it's it's kind of hard to argue that as well. Do you see an immediate rematch or do you see Hamza Shamayev or Israel Adesanya coming into this? I don't think it's going to be the immediate rematch. I, I don't think that's out of question completely just because Sean Strickland, I, I wrote this in my takeaways after the event last weekend. Sean Strickland is probably a top five draw in UFC right now. I mean, he's obviously not on the level of Conor McGregor or John Jones um, or maybe even Sean O'Malley, but he's right in that conversation. Um, Sean, o- Sean Strickland, for better or worse, he is becoming a star. He has a lot of fans. And again, those fans and, and Strickland himself maybe don't have the best opinions on on, on the world, on, on, on politics, but man, he knows how to draw people into a sport. Um, so I could see the immediate rematch happening just because Sean Strickland puts, puts, you know, butts in seats. He, he gets people to buy pay-per-views, but I don't think he deserves it. Sean Strickland won the title with a, with a great performance against Israel Adesanya last September, but this was his first title defense. Uh, you, you know, even though Strickland was champion, you could make the case he wasn't the best middleweight in the world. Um, and so I, I don't see how you can give him another fight with DDP right away. Personally, I want to see the Izzy fight. I think DDP versus Israel Adesanya is the most interesting matchup at the top of 185 right now. Um, if you guys don't remember, last year this fight was supposed to happen when Adesanya was the middleweight champion. DDP yeah. was the sort of up-and-comer. They had a great face-off in the cage at UFC 290 International Fight Week in July. And DDP couldn't take the fight because he was injured. And that's where Strickland stepped in. But this was the fight that was supposed to happen. I think style-wise, it's really fun. DDP, this kind of awkward, unorthodox, heavy-handed fighter. Israel Adesanya, one of the best kickboxers in the sport. And trying to bounce back, too, after a very uh, disappointing uh, you know, result against Strickland last year. I think that's the fight to make. I think wildcard could be DDP and Chimaev, but... I don't think Chimaev's there quite yet. I think he needs one more win. So I like DDP versus Izzy. And I think that's the direction they're probably going to go in. Um, Just over, uh, rounding up the card in general, obviously it was in Toronto. How was the atmosphere in Toronto? Because in Vancouver, we had 
uh, the Amanda Nunez was the main event. So, yes. you know, some the Canadians say we don't usually get the big mega fights or like anything crazy. But how was it? How was the atmosphere in Toronto? It was fine. Um, I can't speak to it completely. I wasn't cage side throughout most of the night. I, I was in the media room where, where the fighters do the interviews afterward. So I can't speak to the audience too much. But what I will say, this was not a great night for Canadian fighters. And so based on that, I don't think it was the most electric atmosphere if you compare it to, say, Vancouver last June. Or if you like historically best crowds, I mean, like London has good crowds and Dublin in 2014 for McGregor. That was a great one. I don't think we really replicated the magic that you guys got in Vancouver last year because a bunch of Canadians on that card won, Mike Maud, et cetera, et cetera. This time, Canadian men went 0-7 and Canadian women went 2-0. So 2-7 overall, not a great night for Canadians. And honestly, the card itself was not lackluster, but not thrilling either. The main event was great. Co-main event was not very good. Rest of the main card had some ups and downs. Um, unfortunately, a bit of a forgettable night, but at the same time, two new champions. You know, it's great to see Rock, uh, Raquel Pennington, you know, finally reach that pinnacle. DDP, 7-0 in the UFC, a quick rise himself. It was, it was not the worst card in the world, but it was not the greatest card either. All right, Nick. So since we've gone to the UFC, we've seen three amazing reigns, one by Izzy, one by Kamaru Usman, and one by Volkanovski, right? So which one do you think has been the most impressive reign? Sorry, can you, are you saying at Featherweight? Uh, no, like um, their reigns. So like Izzy's his reign as champion, Kamaru Usman, his streak as champion, and then Volkanovski's. Or Volkanovski, I see. Yeah. So, you're, so comparing Izzy, Usman, and Volkanovski. Yeah, their um, championship reigns. Yeah, I think Volkanovski is tough to beat. I think in terms of the pound-for-pound all-time conversation, Alexander Volkanovski beats both. Izzy and Usman. I, I think, you know, it, it's tough to sort of decide between Usman and Adesanya. I, I think I would probably go Volk, then Usman, then Adesanya. Adesanya arguably ha- has had the most memorable title reign or title reigns because he was champ twice. Um, just because he is one of the bigger draws in the UFC. Usman and Volk arguably are not. He has this style that really appeals to everybody. He, he really does feel like a superstar. But in terms of competition, in terms of just pure accomplishments, who he's beaten, how he's beaten them, I think Volk and Usman are a little more impressive. I would give the edge to Volkanovski. Um, those wins over Max Holloway are, are legendary, iconic performances, particularly the, particularly the third one. He yeah. dominated Max Holloway um, a couple couple summers ago, and that was he really separated himself from from the rest of the pack at 145. Fortunately, things haven't gone his way lately, fighting at 155 for the title against Izan Makachev. But he has a chance to rebound against Ilya Tuporia in another featherweight title defense. So, yeah, comparing those three guys, I'd go Volk. But you can make the cases for them all. I mean, they're all great UFC champions. Um, uh, Just following up on that, you know, like we said, we... Can't, when we started watching it, we're kind of on the casual space. We're still trying to like learn right, our way up right. here. But like obviously, when we saw Izzy dominated, Kamaru's dominated, Amanda Nunez dominated, Valentina Shevchenko dominated for a while before they ultimately all ended up losing the belt at one point. Obviously, Izzy ended up losing it again, um, and then Amanda Nunez got hers back. But with Volkanovski, do you see him losing it anytime soon after, like with this Taporia fight especially coming up? I think there's a great chance. Um, I, I think right now I actually am leaning towards Taporia, 
Um, you know, don't quote me. Like I think in the next few weeks, maybe I'll change the Volk, maybe I'll change and then change again. I think this is a very close fight. I think Taporia versus Volkanovsky is probably the fight I'm most looking forward to that's on the UFC schedule right now. It is just a tremendous fight. It's very 50-50 in my opinion. Obviously, you can't look past someone as great as Alexander Volkanovsky, but Ilya Toporia, he's 26 years old, you know, from, he fights out of Spain. I think he was born in Georgia, moved to Germany, so kind of has, has, has uh, he's been all over the place, but this guy is legit. He hits really hard on the feet. His wrestling solid. His striking technique is, is really strong. This guy, to me, like, he, he feels like the Volkanovsky of five to seven years ago. Obviously, their styles are, are different. They're not the same fighter, but this guy feels like the next big thing, like the next dominant champion at 145. And I honestly do think this is going to be a passing of the torch. If this fight was happening in the summer and Volkanovski had more time to recover from that brutal head kick knockout loss just a few months ago, I might think differently. But the reality is he probably hasn't had enough time to fully recover. He thinks he has. He's been very adamant about getting back into the octagon very quickly, you know, no long layoffs. But at 35 years old, that's not always what a fighter needs. And Alexander, Alexander Volkanovsky took a brutal knockout loss against Islam. We hadn't seen him ever go down like that. And I think Elliot Taporia might be catching him at the right time. Obviously, Volkanovsky has a great chance. You can't count him out, as I said. But... Um, Right now, I'm I'm leaning towards us getting a new champion in that fight. Um, so other than that one, which other current champs do you see losing their belt this year? Uh, that's a great question, and you're putting me on the spot. Uh, I think Sean yeah. O'Malley has... That one's tough, because I think he beats Marlon Vera at UFC 299 in March. But then it gets tough, because if he fights Corey Sandhagen, that's a close one. I think Marab Dabalish really beats Sean O'Malley. Um, I think Suhudo would give him a run for his money. Peter Yan, I know Peter Yan hasn't looked great as of late, but it wasn't that long ago that he arguably beat Sean O'Malley. So I think O'Malley will have a really tough, tough go at it th- this year. Um, I think Leon Edwards is going to be lucky to, to end 2024 as the welterweight champion. Not because he's, he's not great. He is great. This guy is one of the best pound-for-round fighters in the world. But man, I mean, Bilal Muhammad is a dark horse in this division, always has been, always will be. And then if you look past him, Shavkat Rachmanov is the guy that everybody thinks is the future at 170 pounds. So if Leon Edwards, you know, it'll it'll be very impressive is if he's champ this time next year. Um, DDP is going to have a tough road too. I mean, his this fight was in January, so he may fight one or two more times this year. Whether that's Izzy, whether that's, uh, you know, Hamza Chemaev, this guy is going to have, have a tough time. I think Alex Pereira will have a tough time. Alexa Grasso. The point is, I don't think many of these champions right now are that <laughs> dominant. I think there's a lot of vulnerability at the top of these divisions, which is good. It makes things exciting. Yeah. But this time next year, I won't be shocked if like four, five, six of these champs are no longer champion of the UFC. So sticking with that. So the heavyweight division, John Jones is the current champ. I think Os Aspinall is the interim champ. But yes. obviously, they have some back and forth because Aspinall wants to fight him. But do you just see John Jones Stipe being the both of their last fight is just against each other and they, they will both just retire after that? Or do you see some of them or one of them continuing on still? 
at a heavyweight? If I have to make a prediction there, I think both will, will retire. I think John Jones has already kind of hinted at that. He's saying, you know, he said, you know, a while ago and then recently again that, you know, after he beats Stipe Miocic, what else does he have to prove? And, and the yeah. answer is ultimately nothing. I think it would actually be pretty good for his legacy and for his resume to, to stick around and beat someone like Tom Aspinall. Because even though Tom Aspinall isn't the most known, I think his popularity has risen a lot in the past few months. And I think beating Tom Aspinall means more than beating Stipe in 2024. Having said that, John Jones can kind of do what John Jones wants. I don't think he's going to stick around much longer. I think Stipe could be his last one. And then for Stipe, let's be honest, guys. I mean, he's been kind of retired, semi-retired, one foot out the door, whatever you want to call it, for almost three years now. March 2021 against Francis Ngannou was the last time we saw Stipe Miocic in the Octagon. We're coming up on three years, and you can't tell me he's a 100% committed active fighter. This is a guy that former two-time champion one of the best heavyweights to ever do it probably the best ufc heavyweight to ever do it and uh he's just been waiting for the right opportunity for a title shot frankly he's gotten it but if he loses to jones is he gonna stick around you know and and fight like a sergey pavlovich absolutely not the only chance of stipe sticking around after the fight is if he wins and i don't think he'll win so my gut feeling is that both guys are done after this fight um Moving on, just pound for pound, just question. Some people don't understand what it is. How do you assess pound for pound? And then if you were to explain to the general audience, what is pound for pound? Because it's not like you could make, um, for example, Brandon Moreno versus John Jones out of nowhere and no. assess something like that. Man, it's tough. There, There is no... Here's the thing. If, if you are not familiar with MMA, I can't even think of like how I would compare it in, in, in like a basketball or hockey or football or something, but pound for pound, basically like it's so subjective because uh, as you said, I mean, obviously Demetrius Johnson isn't going to fight Kane Velasquez or Brandon Moreno is not going to fight John Jones or Francis Ngannou. So it kind of is just my criteria, I guess would be who's the best fighter. And, and again, this is very vague, but, it would be, I don't know why the lights have gone off in this room. Oh, my, my, my apologies. No, no, um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can get the, the light turned back on. That's, that's not great. Um, but I'll continue the question and I'll, I'll, I'll go handle that. But um, my, my definition of pound for pound would basically be um, how much have you accomplished? How, how skilled are you? How well-rounded are you? Um, I feel like if you are just a knockout artist, but you clearly are not great, in the grappling department that that does kind of put you down um the ranks a little bit but it only just comes down to how accomplished you are if you have five title defenses you're probably going to be ranked ahead of someone with just one or two title defenses um it's not necessarily who would who would beat who because you can't really say that if brandon moreno was 260 pounds would he beat john jones i have no idea nobody knows that's ridiculous and so the thing with pound for pound is that it doesn't matter. It's kind of just for fun. It, it, it's for fans. Um, but who's number one, who's number two, who's number three, who's number 15, who the heck knows that that's, that's the real, real answer, everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's tough because like when Volkanovski versus Makachev, it's just like, that's the, that, yeah. Realism's there. If Makachev goes up and faces Leon, if he loses, then he's probably going to drop because it's like, essentially you're trying to compare the weights along with how would they do at that weight? can John Jones do this at a lightweight or can 
Volkanovski do this at heavyweight, right? Essentially, it's like it's an op- very opinion based. Yeah, it, it's it's that's the thing. It is all subjective. There is no objectivity here at all. Um, if you want to put John Jones ahead of Leon Edwards or Leon Edwards ahead of John Jones or I, like the only time when it's hard to disagree with a pound for pound ranking is if two guys have actually fought each other, which is very rare on pound for pound because pound for pound is all of the best fighters from all divisions. So there might be like two lightweights or, or two weights or maybe two heavyweights, but not many more than that. So for instance, Alexander Volkanovsky and Islam Makhachev have both fought each other twice. Islam Makhachev has won both times. Islam Makhachev should be ahead of Volkanovsky. Yes, there's a 10 pounds, 10 pound difference. But if you beat a guy twice, you know, the first one was very close, but the second one was not. I think that jumped Islam ahead of Volkanovsky, but particularly that, that knockout. Um, but again, like there, there is no criteria. That's the problem with, with pound for pound. And everybody has a different criteria. Everybody looks at it differently. And so no one's going to disagree. But again, it's all for fun. And yeah. So for you, is it John Jones or is it Islam Akachev? Because those are the two I see yeah. a lot. Yeah, th- those definitely are the top two right now. I would say Islam. I think for me, John Jones, let's be clear. John Jones is probably the greatest fighter in MMA history. He's at least my GOAT. I think George St. Pierre has a great uh, case to be the GOAT as well. I would probably put him at number two. Right now, though, like pound for pound, I guess one thing I didn't say is pound for pound is all about the now. It is not an all-time it's not trying to assess a fighter's achievements or accomplishments all time. John Jones is obviously the most accomplished fighter on that list. But right now, lately, Islam Makhachev looks like the best fighter in the world. Nobody at 155 has been able to touch him. A, a unanimous decision win over Volkanovski a year ago was his toughest fight. And if you watch that back, it's actually not that. I mean, it's competitive, but it's also a clear win for Islam Makhachev. So for me, I got Islam at number one. I just think right now he's in his prime. He is as close to unbeatable as you can get in, in cage fighting. And so I got him above John Jones because John Jones has only fought once in almost four years. So how can he be number one? It, it's a tough, yeah. tough argument to make. And then when he did fight, it was just like, it was done within like what the first, like it, two it minutes? was a two minute, two minute submission. Yeah. It was a great win, but did we learn anything? Did we, did we see much from John Jones? I don't know. Not, 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 it's hard to hard to argue that as well. All right, Nick. So what are the best upcoming fights for this year or like ones that you're going to keep a close eye on? Well, as I said earlier, um, I think Volkanovski Taporia is maybe my favorite fight that's currently scheduled. Um, that's happening February 17th in Anaheim, California, UFC 298. UFC 299, March 9th in Miami is absolutely oh there's the lights again no idea what, what's going on but ghosts i i guess but ufc 299 is absolutely stacked sean o'malley versus marlon vera too is a great fight but the coin event is maybe even more interesting dustin poirier the former interim lightweight champion and at one point a lot of people thought this guy was the best lightweight in the world he's fighting benoit saint denis and saint denis is from france he lost his first UFC fight, but he's undefeated since then, and he looks like an absolute monster. He's coming off a knockout win over Matt Favola, a knockout at Madison Square Garden last November, one of the best highlights of, of the year, frankly. And this guy looks like he is the next big thing at lightweight, so that's a super fun one. Um, we got the debut of Michael Ben and Page, former Bellator fighter, contender, star. He's fighting Kevin Holland. That's pretty fun. 
And then, I mean, you go to UFC 300, and it is just full of awesome fights. Justin Gaethje versus Max Holloway is one of my probably top three favorite fights currently scheduled. Um, Charles Oliveira, Armin Sarukian is tremendous matchmaking. Aljamain Sterling is debuting at 145, which is really interesting. And UFC 300 doesn't even have the main main event yet. And so that card is looking absolutely wicked. And uh, yeah, I guess that would be a a large sample of the best fights. But I guess if I have to pick one, it's still probably Volktaporia. Something about that is just so fascinating because it's a dominant champion. the, The, you know, the longest reigning active UFC champion taking on who is clearly his toughest test right now in Ilya Taporia and he might lose. And so that's, that's my, my fight to watch, but UFC knows what they're doing. And, and some of these cards coming up are looking real nice. So you mentioned UFC 300. And one of the questions we're going to ask you is what fight would you like to make? Let's just tie it in together. The main events empty with two, two part question. One, which one do you think, what do you think is going to be the main event? And if it's your, you're the guy, you're Dana White, what would you make the main event? It's so tough. The, the reason this is tough is because there are not that many options. If you look at who the champions are right now in the UFC, from Alexandre Pantoja all the way to John Jones, you know, uh, DDP in there, Islam Makashev, a lot of them have either just fought, have fights on other cards coming up, or just flat out unavailable. Islam Makashev wanted to fight before Ramadan. Unfortunately, that's not happening now. He, he observes Ramadan. And so he won't be fighting until probably the summer. So that rules him out of UFC 300. John Jones is recovering from a pectoral tear injury. So he's out till probably July or August. Um, Conor McGregor is still an option. You know, I don't know if you guys saw or, or if the listeners saw, but Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz went back and forth yeah. on Twitter yesterday. Or no, Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler, my bad. Um, they went back and forth on, on Twitter uh, yesterday. And we'll see. We'll see. That that still is an option. Um, I guess the most likely scenario here is Israel Adesanya versus Drakus Tupasis. I think DDP will be the big question here, though, because he took a lot of damage against Sean Circling just last weekend. There's a lot of facial damage. If you've seen pictures of him recently, a lot of that is already cleared up. He's still bruised and stuff, but the swelling has gone down. He might be okay for UFC 300, but it's no guarantee. Even Izzy was saying, I don't want to fight again for a while. I'm you know, dealing with maybe an injury. I'm not getting back into training until February. Even he might not be ready for UFC 300. We, we haven't really heard for sure. I still think that's the fight that they're leaning towards. I don't think there's any fight that makes more sense, unless it's Connor. If, if they can get Connor and Chandler or Connor and Diaz, you got to go with that because UFC 300 needs a big name and there's no bigger name than Conor McGregor. In terms of a realistic matchup that I would most want to see as the main event, it's Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz 3. That is the biggest fight you can make in the UFC. UFC 300 is supposed to be a big card. Got to put the biggest fight on the biggest card and McGregor Diaz is that answer. Is the because you mentioned uh Drickus versus Izzy? The the thing that we saw the most, at least early on when they, they were announcing cards, was Bilal Leon was probably going to be the main event. Yes, there was some that's the most that. realistic one, like based on your analysis. There, like they haven't fought, yeah, it, long, it is the longest without a fight. It's absolutely realistic. I don't think it's going to happen. I think there was some talk of it. I think they're going to save Leon Edwards for a card in the UK this summer, maybe UFC 302. 
maybe in in June, perhaps. Um, the reason I don't think that's going to be the UFC 300 main event is because whether it's fair or not, a lot of people aren't big fans of Bilal Muhammad. He is not the biggest name. He, you know, his name value has definitely grown in the past few years, but that fight just doesn't feel like a UFC 300-esque main event. Leon Edwards is coming off a fairly boring win over Colby Covington. Bilal Muhammad is not the biggest name. That fight, while great and while completely deserved, you know, Bilal Muhammad, he, he's done more than enough for a title shot. Leon Edwards is one of the best fighters on the planet, pound for pound. That just doesn't have 300 written all over it. Um, not the most media-friendly fighters, not always the most fan-friendly fighters. I think fans, I think the UFC knows that fans would be disappointed if Edwards Muhammad was the main event of UFC 300, supposed to be the biggest event ever, according to Dana White, right? And so I think they're going to try their absolute best not to have Leon and Blal in that main event slot. Don't, don't never say never. I mean, if they, if they literally have nothing else, they'll do it, but they're going to pay DDP a lot of money to, you know, have a shorter camp before calling Leon and Bilal. That's, that's my opinion. All right, Nick, the big question, if it's not 300 or any time this year, will we see Conor McGregor return? It's tough. I, I don't know any more than you or anybody else. Conor McGregor, says time and time again that he's going to fight on this day, on this day, on that day, on you know next year, next month, next week. And we still haven't seen the guy in the cage. July 2021, the broken leg against Dustin Poirier. That was the last time we saw the Notorious. And man, I don't know. Like, I think Conor McGregor is going to fight. If I have to make a prediction, gun to my head, that sort of thing. If I'm, if I'm putting money down, I'm probably saying Conor McGregor fights. But who knows? Like, you know, when when we get promise after promise and, and promise ruined after promise ruined, it's really tough to have any faith in the guy coming back. And and let's be real. I mean, no, we're not blaming Connor here. He has all the money in the world. He has a family, a big family. He keeps having kids, and he can go on his yacht in 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 the south of France and and just relax and train if he wants and go to parties and drink and just enjoy his life, drive cool cars. Like he, he can do all this. He doesn't need to fight. So why would you get into a fist fight with like a Nate Diaz or Michael Chandler, a trained fighter, if you can just like relax for your whole life and, and, and tweet all night? Um, Conor McGregor doesn't need to do this. If he comes back, it's because he wants to. And this is, at this point, it's hard to say if he wants to. He'll tell you that. But do we really believe him? I don't know. Um, I think he's going to fight. But... For anyone that isn't familiar with Conor McGregor, doesn't know how he operates, don't be that shocked if we're talking again in December and Conor McGregor still hasn't come back to the cage and a return is, is nowhere in sight. That would not be the most shocking development in this sport. This is a crazy sport and crazier things have happened than Conor McGregor choosing not to fight. All right, final UFC question before we get into the boxing. Um, Israel Adesanya... And Alex Pereira three. Do you think it happens at light heavyweight? Do I think it happens ever? Yes. Um, do I think it happens this year? I'd be a little surprised. I think that's that might be the one hail mary they have for UFC three hundred. I can see it happening. Izzy doesn't deserve another light heavyweight title shot. He's coming a lo off a loss at middleweight, so there's no world where fighting for the two hundred five pound belt makes any sense. But it's a great, it's a big matchup. It's it's a great matchup. There's obviously history 
Izzy knocked out Pereira less than a year ago. Um, I could I could see that happening. I just don't know if it'll be next. I think Alex Pereira is probably more likely to just defend his belts against a contender in his division, either Jamal Hill, maybe the winner of Prohaska uh, Rakic, or more likely Magomed Ankalaev. And I think Izzy is probably going to focus on that DDP, DDP fight or maybe a rematch with Strong Strickland. But I don't think Prayer Izzy 3 is next, but will it happen some point in the next, say, two or three years? I think so. I think I, I don't think the UFC can just let that one go. That's there, there's too much history, too much drama, and too many pay per view buys being left on the table if you don't book that fight. Eventually. Yeah, I feel like he'll somehow reclaim the middleweight, but tell uh, middleweight belt it's either possible. this year and then yeah. just jump up into prayer still champ and go at him again there, try to be a double champ. That's, one, that's my prediction. And the final yeah. man, basically. <laughs> And that would be the biggest, biggest way to make the fight. Like that would be, you know, that would be a bigger fight if that happens than it is now, because Israel Adesanya is coming off a very uninspiring loss. We don't know if he's the same fighter, yada, yada, yada. But if Israel Adesanya goes out there and smokes DDP, calls out Alex Pereira, there's no bigger fight. Maybe a Conor McGregor fight, but, you know, other than Conor, there's no bigger fight. Alex Pereira, Israel Adesanya will always be a huge fight. But if it's champ versus champ, 185 champ versus 205 champ at 205 or even at 85, that would be massive. All right, let's get into the boxing, but still kind of MMA ties here. Francis Ngannou, um, recently, obviously he has his drama with uh, Dana White and all that, um, head, headed over to PFL, but before that, he fought Tyson Fury, which many thought he won actually, he actually won that fight, and now is going against Anthony Joshua. Your overall thoughts about Francis Ngannou's journey to what he, where, did he make? Obviously, I think he made the right decision, but like your overall thoughts on Francis Ngannou's like downfall, not downfall, but like leaving the UFC essentially. Yeah, it's been unbelievable, frankly. Francis Ngannou struck gold. Um, he he didn't strike gold in the sense that he got lucky. He knew what he was doing. He he believed in himself, and man, he made all the right decisions and. You know, this time a year ago, he, he it was just announced that him and the UFC were parting ways. And he was the reigning heavyweight champion. He was a free agent. And on that same night, they announced that John Jones would fight Cyril Gaon for the vacant heavyweight title. And of course, you know what happened. John Jones is a champion now. But at that point, a lot of people thought Francis Ngannou screwed up. You're leaving the UFC as the champion? What are you doing? Well, you, you're never going to fight Tyson Fury. You're never going to fight Anthony Joshua. Deontay Wilder doesn't want to fight you. You're making a mistake. And then a couple months later, things there were no announcements. We didn't know what was next for Francis Ngannou. We didn't know if he'd fight in MMA again, if he would get a big boxing payday that he so wanted. We didn't know if he would ever fight again. And a lot of people thought he fumbled the bag. That's obviously sort of the big, the, you know, the, the, the money tagline now, um, now that we know what happened. And then he signs with PFL. That was the first step in sort of redeeming himself. Not that he really needed to, but he signed with PFL. Big deal, big contract, a lot of money, pretty historic. You know, he, he's on board with PFL Africa as a chairman. Uh, his opponent will get one or two million dollars. You know, it, this was a pretty unprecedented uh, contract with, with a rival MMA promotion. But then when everybody, you know, ate crow is when he signed on to fight Tyson Fury. And he signs on to fight Tyson Fury. Big pay, payday, biggest payday of, of his career, boxing debut, huge fight in Saudi Arabia. But nobody thought he could actually win. Everybody thought Tyson Fury was, would, would dominate. People in the boxing community thought 
this was a joke of a fight that Francis Ghana, why is he even doing this? Why is he here? He didn't deserve this. He didn't earn this the, the right way. And then he shocks the world. He didn't win. Francis Ngannou lost the split decision, but by knocking down Tyson Fury in the third round of that boxing match in Saudi Arabia on October 28th, he showed everybody that he did not fumble the bag. The UFC fumbled the bag. This is one of the biggest superstars in, in combat sports right now. And by, by knocking down Tyson Fury and being competitive with him for most of the 10 rounds, winning the fight on one judge's scorecard, which if you told me before October 28th, I would have called you a liar. I, I wouldn't have believed that he would have been able to do that. He now sets up the Anthony Joshua fight uh, coming up in a, in a couple months. Francis Ngannou has just done everything right. It is remarkable to see where he's gone from this time, say in April of last year to now. He has honestly built up his name to become one of the biggest stars, one of the most paid fighters in, in the game. One of the most sought-after fighters. I mean, every promoter in boxing seems to want to work with him, whether that's Eddie Hearn or Tyson Fury's promoter or, or people in Saudi Arabia. All the fighters, all the top heavyweights want to fight him. This is crazy. Like, honestly, this is crazy, but good for Francis Ngannou. He, he knew he could do it. He needed to show everybody he could do it because no one believed him but him and maybe his coaches and family. And man, what a what a legend. This this fight with Joshua is going to be fun. I think, you know, there's there's a reasonable chance that he can, you know, you know, pull off that magic one, once again. Joshua will obviously be be favored, but even to get to this, it doesn't matter if he wins or loses or gets dominated or beats him. Even to get here is just absolutely remarkable. Uh, moving on slightly, the I think the biggest drama is out of the ring in boxing. Ryan Garcia versus Oscar De La Hoya. We always see this on Twitter. You're like, it's just confusing. It's such a toxic relationship. They're calling each other out publicly on Twitter. Yet one guy is their promoter. You got Floyd Mayweather involved somehow when he was training with him. But your overall thoughts on this, just because it's very confusing to many people. And I'm sure yeah, it is weird. I'm not the most, uh, I, I, I haven't sort of dialed into this situation too much myself. Obviously, I've seen the headlines read the articles, I've heard Ryan Garcia talk. But yeah, as you said, I mean, the fact that Ryan Garcia is publicly blasting his promoter on social media and Oscar is saying some things that maybe, you know, a promoter wouldn't usually say about their own fighter. It is very weird. And, and yeah, toxic is probably the right word here. Um, I think the ultimate, you know, how this is going to end, the, the, the end result, is that eventually they they part ways? I don't know contract wise what their status is. If you know, obviously they they have a deal in place. They're they're promoter and fighter. But whether this means Ryan Garcia has to be under contract with Golden Boy Promotions for the next five years, I don't know exactly how that works. I'll be honest. But I think at some point eventually, whether they just end the contract or wait it out till it till it expires, there's going to be a, a point in time in the somewhat foreseeable future that Ryan Garcia and Oscar De La Hoya are no longer in business together because Ryan Garcia just straight up doesn't seem to like the guy. And, and that's wild to me um, just because yeah, they're promoter and fighter. They're supposed to get along, but I guess it's, it's, it's real. I mean, this is real life. Humans are, are humans and not everybody's going to get along. I mean, not, you don't like everybody you work with maybe, or you don't like your boss and, I guess it's a similar situation, but it is pretty crazy to see it all play out in the public eye. Um, and yeah, I think the end result here is that they'll they'll split, you know, 
part ways eventually. Um, so we recently seen Deontay Wilder's, Wilder's return to the ring, but he did not look very good. So do you believe it might be over for Deontay Wilder? It might be. There, there's a there's a chance. I mean, I, I feel like I keep sitting on the fence here, but I think Deontay Wilder will ultimately fight again. But there absolutely is a chance. He said it right after the fight. He said, I, I don't know if I got what it takes anymore. I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And then he said a little while after, maybe the next day or next day or two, he said, no, I'm going to come back. And so Deontay Wilder still is probably, I mean, he's still a top 10 heavyweight in boxing. Um, a Francis Ngannou fight, let's say Ngannou loses to Joshua. That's still interesting to some people. I wouldn't be overly interested in it just because Wilder does seem very past its prime. And, and if you want to say washed up, I don't think that's the worst you know, line, line of phrasing either. I, I'm not too sold on an Ngannou Wilder fight. But um, I'll say, I mean, I think Wilder will fight again, but man, I mean, he's not going to be a champion again. He's not going to be in, I mean, he'll be in contender fights just because he still has a big name. But if he loses again, then it's really bad for for the former champ. So we'll see what happens. The knockout power is there. That's the only thing he relies it on. Is. <laughs> um, yeah, like he, he always has that shot. I mean, he can put a, away anybody, but based on what we saw, in the Joseph Parker fight, if you have zero killer instinct and, and zero ability to sort of pressure your opponent, go forward, really be aggressive, that power is not going to matter. And so he always has that shot, but he, you know, he's not setting him out, setting himself up for success by just sitting back and waiting for the round to end essentially. And that's what we saw against Joseph Parker. Um. And boxing in general, it's kind of weird because you don't usually see the big matchups like you do in the UFC. But lately, like Ryan Garcia has been trying his best to get the big fights. He got one in Tank Davis. Um, obviously, he's trying to get Haney and all these guys going. We've seen some in the heavyweight division. We've seen, finally, we saw Terrence Crawford versus um, Errol Spence. But for you, is that the matchmaking? Is that the one big issue? And then also, is there other issue is, do you believe it's just there's way too many belts in boxing? Yeah, I mean, the matchmaking in boxing recently has actually been pretty good. Um, again, I'm I'm still kind of getting into boxing. I, I've gotten into it a lot more, say, over the past six months to a year, but I'm still definitely like a more of a casual fan compared to MMA. Um, but I think the matchmaking has been pretty good. As you said, we've seen some super fights recently. Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia was a huge one. Um, maybe not like the, the number one and number two pound for pound, but just big, big names, big on social media, big on pay-per-view. Um, as you said, Crawford and Spence was a, was a massive fight for that division. So I think we've seen a lot of big fights. I mean, Canelo keeps fighting. I mean, Canelo Bevel, uh, if Canelo Benavides happens this year, that'd be great. Um, Bevel, uh, better be is a huge one that people are waiting to see. I think the matchmaking isn't the issue, but yeah, you're right. I mean, in terms of boxing and, and all its issues, I think just having so many sanctioning bodies does not make, you know, does not help things here. I mean, it makes it so confusing for fans that are trying to get into the sport. There's so many belts in, in MMA and UFC, I guess. I mean, because of, you know, the, the setup and, and how, pro, you know, promotions work in MMA and how, you know, organizations work in boxing is just so different, but there's basically one heavyweight champion in, in the UFC, like John Jones is the guy. In boxing you can have four you can have four in every division and that's at that point like 50 world champions or, or however many it is it, it's crazy and so 
I think I don't think we're going to see any major fundamental changes to the boxing business anytime soon. But people all the time say, you know, boxing is not doing itself any favors by having so many belts, so many sanctioning bodies, so many weird rules, so many weird decisions. Um, the business of boxing definitely holds it back. It's still a very popular sport, and I think the past few years for boxing have been very good. But the business side of things, all of what I've said, definitely does not make things easy, especially if you're a new fan. If you're trying to get into boxing and learn the sport, it's tough for sure. All right, Nick, who do you believe is the best pound for pound fighter in the boxing world? I think it's probably Terence Crawford. Um, I don't have a great argument for him over, say, uh, in a way, I think. Sorry. Canelo, I was going to say, but between I, I thought it was between the two, but. Yeah, I mean, Canelo was up there, and then when he lost to Bevel, I think that dropped him down a bit. He's rebounded, so I think I think Canelo's in that probably four to five range. I think uh, Crawford and Inouye are pretty yeah. clearly the top two. I mean, in, in most you know rankings, you know whether it's the ring or 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 etc. Um, I think you either it's kind of like one A one B. Like you pick you know pick one of them. It's it's not the wrong answer. Um, Canelo's in their conversation. Alexander Usyk, the the heavyweight champion who fights Tyson Fury next month, is very much in the conversation too. Um, but I'd go Terence Crawford it, it would be my pick. Uh, all right, a couple of things before we wrap up here. Um, this just came to me, but your overall thoughts on the influencer boxing scene, if it's good for boxing. We see KSI, we see Jake Paul obviously trying to take on the big fighters now, but... Well, your overall thoughts on like, is it good for boxing? And to a certain extent, when is it bad for boxing, I guess? It's a tough question. And it's a good question. I think overall, it's good for boxing because Jake Paul, let's be real. Whether you like him, hate him, love him, whatever. Jake Paul has brought a lot of eyeballs onto the sport of boxing. You know, a lot of people around his age, you know, late teens, maybe early 20s or, or even younger, like depending on maybe they're interested in Jake Paul and Logan Paul's older YouTube videos, you know, people that are 15, 16, 17 now, they're getting into boxing, you know, Jake Paul and Logan Paul and, and, and to a lesser extent, Tommy Fury and KSI, they've all brought just a different audience to boxing. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, Maybe, you know, boxing purists and, and, the, and the boxers themselves don't love it, but the more eyes, the better, frankly. More pay-per-view buys and all that. Um, I, I guess, I don't, I mean, if it goes too far, I guess it could be bad. Like, everything is good in moderation. Almost everything is bad if, if you have too much of it. Um, I think sometimes, I mean, people look at Jake Paul sort of taking over boxing as, as embarrassing to the sport. And, oh, you know, how could you have Tommy Fury and Jake Paul selling X number of pay-per-view buys or Jake Paul and Nate Diaz, you know, someone who's never boxed ever. How is that bigger than Canelo Alvarez or, or, or Tyson Fury? And sometimes it is. So, I mean, I guess if it's too much, then people will just look at boxing as a joke, as like a, not a real sport. Like, what are, what are we even doing here? What are we watching? Um, so that could be the downfall that, that could be sort of the, the downside rather. Um, but I don't think it's bad, you know, Jake Paul fighting a couple times, you know, a few times a year, every, every three months, every four months, no one's complaining. You know, if, if you don't like it, don't watch it, but I don't think it's ruining the sport as of now by any means. 
yeah, no, like for both of us, I would say I think McGregor Mayweather started it, but K- when KSI fought Logan Paul, kind of elevated for us because, like you said, the social media side. But so I think it's good from that sense. That's how we got in. Being, yeah. being frank, yeah. that's how we got into. That's how I got into Deontay Wilder fights and all these stuff. Canelo. I think it gets bad when it's like Jake is calling Canelo constantly. He's like, "I'll beat him now," or like, "Yeah." You see some of these guys that are fighting under KSI's promotion, the Misfits thing, and they're calling out Ryan Garcia for and Shakur Stevenson, for example. Then I'm like, "Okay, that's just you're taking it too far. You're calling out the world world champs that have the biggest draw." It, it's a good point because you're kind of blurring the lines between influencer boxing and, and real boxing. I think it kind of still has to be a bit separate. Like there is a time and a place for Jake Paul to call, call out Canelo. Because let's be real, I mean, crazy things have happened. Jake Paul has fought Nate Diaz, Anderson Silva, one of the best UFC fighters of all time. So there is the crossover potential, but you're right. I, I think where things go wrong is when it's too much of like an infiltration, like Jake Paul is just like inserted himself into like real boxing, legit boxing. Um, and that's what puts a sour taste in, in some people's mouth. All right. Quick, quick answers for these, if you can, before we close it out. Sure. Canadian, uh, you're Canadian, we're Canadian. Ever since George St. Pierre, we don't know that many people that are we yeah. should keep an eye out for. Uh, in the boxing guy, I know Artem Bitrebiev is like Russian Canadian, so he's from based out of Montreal. But who are some uh, Canadian fighters fans should uh, Canadians in general should keep an eye on for in UFC and or boxing? Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I can't really speak to boxing too much. I'm not. I'm not familiar. As as you said, Artem Bitrebiev, he's probably our best. You know chance at you know glory or, or pound round you know supremacy if you will but he's like russian canadian so i mean pure you know someone who's born you know born in canada raised in canada that sort of thing um fully canadian i, I don't i'm not familiar familiar with many boxers on on the mma side i will still say mike Mollat is our best shot at a, you know a ufc title and, and sort of a, another dominant welterweight fighter um, but his setback against Neil Magny last weekend here in Toronto was not a positive result. Um, it shows that he has a lot to work on, a lot, a lot of you know elements of his game to he needs to improve. Um, but there's just no one else that really has the star potential or potential as a contender. He he still is very good. Um, I think if he just sort of works on some things, he can he can be even better and, and maybe be a top ten welterweight. I think. Um, Jasmine Jasmine Davizius uh, on the women's side of things, um, I think has pretty good potential. I don't think she'll ever be a top five contender. Um, so I think Mike Mulata is still the guy to watch, but it'll be very interesting to see how he bounces back from, from this loss. And last thing before we close it out, you mentioned George St. Pierre earlier. A couple of months, like about a month or so ago, Christine Sinclair from the soccer side of things officially retired from the Canadian women's national team. Brought us a discussion. Who's the Canadian GOAT? You might be a little biased. So for you, is it George St. Pierre because you're an MMA guy? Or do you still think it's like Gretzky or St. Clair or Crosby, for example? Like, who's your Canadian GOAT? And where would you uh, rank George St. Pierre, St. Pierre on there? It's interesting. I think, I mean, I think you got to go with Gretzky, right? I think this is like the best hockey player of all time. And just what he meant to the country, like representing Canada as he was, you know, playing for New York and Edmonton and, and L.A. and and whatnot. I, I just think Wayne Gretzky is one of the best athletes of all time. And for him to be Canadian, I, I think he has to be the answer. Because uh, I, I don't think Christine Sinclair and George St. Pierre, no disrespect, I mean, I love them. But I just don't think they're quite in that conversation for like all time athletes worldwide, top 10. Like I think Gretzky's in that conversation. So I'd go Gretzky. 
Um, shout out to Terry Fox. I think he's always overlooked in this uh, conversation. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, he's obviously, I mean, a whole other sort of ball game. Uh, but in terms of like team sports and 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 like a famous athlete, I think GSP is obviously in the conversation. What he meant to Canada over his long time reign as UFC World Three Champion and then middleweight champion at the very end, it you know it, it, it's second to none. Like GSP was huge for Canada and for MMA in Canada. You know, everything we talk about, it, it, he basically hasn't fought actively for 10 years now. And we still, all we talk about here in Canada is George St. Pierre. That's how much of a, of a lasting effect he's left on the country. And, and we always, the question we always have is, who's the next JSP? And whether that's a fair question or not, we can debate that for hours. I would probably lean towards not being a fair question. Because how can you expect someone to be that great? Yeah, but, yeah. But, but getting back to the question, I think GSP is in the conversation. I don't think he's number one, but man, GSP is great. And uh, yeah, he, he's on that list. I think we had him fi- top five. I think yeah, we were discussing that, that, with another that, guest we had on. Yeah. But yeah. That seems reasonable. I, I agree yeah. with that. Uh, all right, Nick, we appreciate the time. We hopefully could do this again. It was a lot of fun. But before we let you go, just promote yourself, promote your work. Where can people find you? Um, yeah, just show the people where they could look for Nick Baldwin. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on once again. Uh, it was really fun. And yeah, hopefully we can do this again. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm happy to do it whenever you guys want me on. Um, your audience can follow me on Twitter at Nick Baldwin MMA. Um, and they can check out my work on the score. So that's the score app. You can download it on your, on your iPhone or Android or whatever kind of phone you got. Um, we do have a website. We don't really use it. It's kind of just all the same thing though. So whether it's the website or the app, you can find out or find my work, um, just news articles and features and interviews and all that good stuff. So you can check that out over on the score. And I tweet out most of it too. So you can check out my Twitter as well. Appreciate it all once right. again and, uh, and have a great day. Yeah, right, Nick. Thank you. Everything will be linked down below to everybody else watching. We appreciate you, and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.